Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a very special interview edition of Sci-Fi Fidelity. I'm here with Dave, and we are talking today to the writers, creators, and executive producers of The Crossing on ABC, Jay Beatty and Dan Dworkin. And we're very excited. Dave, you know we talked about this in our last podcast, and we're really hooked four episodes in, aren't we? Well, you got, you had us at time travel, so we're, we're good to go. <laughs> so Jay Beatty and Dan Dworkin have been writing and producing partners for over a decade, working together on a couple of seasons of Criminal Minds, especially projects like The Matador and genre favorites like the short-lived The Event back in 2010. And now they're back strong as ever with this project that we're really excited about, The Crossing. Thanks for joining us, Jay Beatty and Dan Dworkin. Thanks for having us on, guys. Appreciate it. And glad it's, it's been interesting to, that people resurface the event after all these years. A lot of, a lot of people have come out of the woodwork as uh, closet fans of that show that we didn't know were out there. So that, that's interesting. <laughs> now, you know, anytime you guys bring people from the future back to the present, to avoid some sort of calamity, the question of how much of the future you present to the viewer becomes part of the narrative equation. So how did you guys decide what to show, how much to show, and how to present it? Uh, it was a bit of a moving target as far as that goes. It, it's funny, I, I, I listened to the last podcast that you did about uh, The Crossing, and you had theorized after the pilot that we we most likely were not going to show much, if any, of the future, because, as I, th I think you had said, Reese clearly asserts herself as someone with powers who's an apex, and we've proven that the future is real, and we don't need to show it. And interestingly, that was our original idea, too. Like, when we came when this came out of the box, like, we thought we were going to tell this whole story from the point of view of this time, and just sell the future through what people were saying about this time. And then as we started to break the larger series, just certain narrative realities set in where you're just compelled to kind of show things. It helps you fill out backstory and it helps you kind of inform certain aspects of the future. That being said, we still don't show a lot. You got a lot in episode two. That's a bit of an aberration. We show just kind of sporadic glimpses going forward. Yeah, but I would say in deciding how much of the future to show, that really revolves around character because for us, we've had this rich backstory and her backstory was the future, and that was interesting. But we wanted to explore her character, and you know, because the audience investment in your characters is really important, especially in a show with, you know, that's so expansive like our show and has such a, a huge cast of characters and many arenas of story to explore. So it's really it was it was out of a desire to explore her character that we got into the future. There's also the practical limitations of budget come into play. Like if you, you want to create a, a compelling future world, you want to have the proper resources and time to do that and not have it look bad. 
So I would be lying if I said that was not also a consideration, like we wanted to use our money wisely. Well, now, as we reach episode four, more and more layers are being pulled back as the mystery of Hannah's connection with Marshall, for example, unfolds. We've got Paul's long lost wife revealed in quite a shocking fashion. Uh, Do you essentially have 47 potential stories to tell among the refugees and do many of them tie into this earlier migration the way Hannah and Paul's do? Well, it's yet to be determined whether Hannah really ties into the earlier migration at all. So that, that's oh, true. Silly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul certainly does, obviously, <laughs> after episode four, you know that. And um, the others, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. Uh, I, I will say that as far as having 47 potential stories to tell, in theory, yes, I can say for season one, you're going to get you know, maybe a couple more people kind of fade prominently into the story from the pool of refugees that you haven't met yet, but we're not going to be casting a much wider net than that just because we only have 11 episodes this season. But in future episodes, you know, certainly we could we could dip a little bit more into the, the pool of travelers. Okay. Now, many time travel stories these days seem to revolve around travelers, trying to change the past to prevent some sort of apocalyptic future. And while it's certainly too early to tell if that's the case here, you have introduced the possibility of a viral pandemic in conjunction with Mantle's disease. So, I mean, what can you tell us about that aspect of the story? Uh, well, man, I mean, first we thought of Mantle's when we were considering what occurred in the future and how Apex maybe started this war with the common folk, who they call the commons, and um, we thought it'd be a, their clean way of waging war against people because they've genetically engineered themselves to be immune to a lot, whereas common people just unfortunately don't have the, you know as healthy of an immune system or strong as an immune system. So that's where it, it started. And then the idea that an emigrate would come back with a, a deadly disease kind of plays into some and explores that, you know, like in Ellis Island, you know, all kinds of people went through kind of quarantine and, and what could happen with a disease from the future that nobody on earth and presence have been exposed to. And that idea and, the, and the, you know, the fear of that and the potential of that story ap- appealed to us. And there was just something, something interesting and extra insidious about this idea of a genetically engineered virus being used to wipe out an entire population. You know, obviously that, that if Apex is about efficiency, like that seems a lot more efficient than like dropping a nuke or something like that. So that, that seemed interesting to us. And also it seems like you're not trying to have the refugees at least change anything about the future they came from. They're just trying to escape it and then let the agenda of the earlier migration imply that they might want to change things, but maybe not. Is that right? Uh, yeah, no, you'll definitely be finding more out about the, the agenda of the earlier migration in the next episode. We go pretty heavy at that, and a lot of that will be informed. But, yeah, they definitely – they're looking to change something. But, yes, you're right. The, the second migration, the people in the camp, like those people, for the most part, are just here to seek peace and a more hopeful way of life. Most of them. They all have – there's layers that go beyond, but for the most part, that would be accurate to say. Now, what can you tell us about the apex? I mean, is recent aberration – with her immediate love of Leia and harboring an undocumented common, as they put it. I mean, is she unique in that sense among the apex and can't the apex travel in time as easily as normal humans? Okay. Well, to the first part, yes, 
she's an aberration for sure. And we were just kind of operating on this notion that you can engineer people to do certain things and you can acculturate them to think certain ways. But on some level, in some people, there's still going to be things you cannot engineer out of them. And in the case of Reese, it's the love, love for a child. And um, as far as the time travel, yeah, I mean, without, you know, spoiling what's to come, I don't think we can talk too much about the time travel itself and how it was invented and, you know, and how many people are, have access to it. But I would just say that the answer is no, the apex can't time travel as easily as, as the normal humans. Very interesting. Yeah, it's like, but some, some of that we can speak to because it is dealt with super briefly in the pilot. You know, uh, during that big interview montage in the tent in the pilot, there the refugees are talking about how they'd heard a rumor how someone had invented, invented a mechanism to bend time. So that idea we've set up there, which will, like Jay said, we'll kind of get into in, in later episodes a little bit more intently, um, is that this was a fledgling technology that was not widely available to anyone, including Apex. Okay, very interesting. Now, you know, with time travel, I'm sure you guys have thought long and hard about the rules. Are, are you going to drop the rules on us a little bit at a time? Well, we tried to keep the rules as simple as possible. And that's kind of impossible when you're dealing with time travel stories. But we are really trying to limit the amount of time travel that has happened on the show. So we have, we have a time travel event in the pilot. And then we have this nod to the earlier migration Beyond that, we're not, we're not going to have much back and forth or anything. So we tried to avoid too many paradoxes and too many conversations in the writer's room, obviously, honestly, that would take us down these rabbit holes that you tend to go down when you start talking about time travel. So we, we tried to keep it simple. I'm sure there's still going to be plenty of what ifs once we start getting into the earlier migration, but we, we tried to keep it pretty simple and try to kind of alleviate the burden of having to explain rules. Yeah, but I would say it would be our, you know, intent to, when, it, when absolutely necessary, to drop more of the rules for people to understand the show and what's occurring is when it'll occur, and, and that we wouldn't just dive into conversations about, you know, time travel and whether it's, a, you know, a fixed loop, an open loop, or self-consistency principle, you know, it, it's, it is such like a dance at a rabbit hole. Yeah, the best, I think the best version that we've seen, like where someone kind of um, deftly dispatches with the rules conversation is in, is in Looper, which I'm guessing you guys have seen, oh, sure. where it's, it's brought up for about five seconds and then they're like, let's just not talk about it. And, and then it's done and it totally works. <laughs> so if you, can, if you can get away with that kind of uh, workaround, by all means do. Well, now we mentioned in the intro that the event is one of the things that you're known for. And you are, you might not realize it, but there are plenty of people who still remember that fondly. And there are a lot of similarities between this series and that gone too soon. One season wonder, including the political allegory, the sci-fi elements that are mixed with government conspiracy. And of course the infiltrators that are hidden among the human populace. So is the crossing in some ways, a manifestation of some of the lessons you learned from that earlier effort? I don't know. It's, Maybe kind of unconsciously it is, but it's like there have been so many. Sh I mean, we're big sci-fi fans, so it can be anything from, you know, the event to the X-Files to whatever that has kind of we've just amassed little bits and pieces over time. 
And with our love of the Twilight Zone and our love of Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson and Harlan Ellis, like all those things just kind of come together in a big giant pool and just you write something and all those things kind of are influences, you know? Yeah. So, so the event, I mean, maybe, I, I think we learn from every show we're on, not, you know, certain pitfalls and things that we don't want to repeat, but I mean, yeah, it's funny. It seems like every successful show shares similarities with another show that was a failure, you know? So <laughs> it's all about execution of the vision. And I, I think we learned from some things that went wrong, certainly on the event where there, the, you know, that was about an alien population that was being secretly imprisoned. And I, I think we only realized the similarity after we were developing it. It's like, oh, yeah, geez, this is like kind of like the event. Cause we had, you know, <laughs> you kind of like, cast it out of your memory once it's once it's five years gone and uh i also think of the event as being it started off one way and it became a little bit more it's interesting the showrunner on that show evan katz because that wasn't a show we created or anything we were just kind of on staff as writers but the showrunner of that show actually had just come off of 24 like he'd done several years on 24 and i remember that was his big influence so the event became a little more action a little more espionage a little more caper and um, we wanted to not necessarily do that. You need some of that to drive story sometimes, but we wanted to try to keep things a little more mystery and a little less action, which isn't admittedly totally reflected in episodes like two and three of the show. But as we go forward, I think you're going to get more of that. That's certainly what we kind of started off with in the pilot. And that's what we kind of try to get back to. Yeah. And for whatever reason on the event, there was some sort of allergy to digging into the the stories of the aliens and who they were and what their culture was like. And, and I think for people who are fans of sci-fi, that's stuff they were craving for. So, I mean, that's certainly something we're aware of on our show and that there's many different areas and, you know, that people are going to respond to who are fans of sci-fi and we have to service those. So, you know, that's something we're certainly conscious of, but well, you know, one of the things that I love about the show early on is, is the fact that I really don't know who to root for. And of course, when Paul's wife shoots Agent Wren, the narrative may have shifted. So should we expect to have our character loyalties tested early and often? I think that's safe to say. I'm excited, too. You guys are the first guys we've talked to who have actually seen the end of episode four. So that's that's cool to know. It's finally getting out there because <laughs> we enjoyed that twist. Um, but but yeah, I think I think it's especially within the camp, the refugee camp, whatever we want to call it. As the noose kind of starts to tighten on all of the people there, you know, as they start to realize, I don't think this is giving anything away, that like this hope that they came here looking for for a, a new peaceful way of life is not going the way that they thought it was going to go. The tension is going to ramp up and, and people are going to get there's going to be friction and there's going to be divisions and there's going to be loyalties being tested. I'm, I'm speaking in big vague abstracts here just because I don't want to give anything away. But yes, the answer is yes. And I think for our, you know, villains as they are, um, you know, we like complex characters with, you know, motivations that might actually be benevolent, but the execution of those ideas makes them seem like they're a villain or a bad guy. And so we don't, we, ne we never really just in our own TV watching and the movies and TV shows that we're fans of, you know, black and white, depictions of good good versus evil so everybody on the show is complex you know and multi-determined and you know, we think that's what makes it interesting but and, and that's why all the loyalties will start to shift 
and alliances will be made and broken. And, you know, we think that's good television. Well, I agree. And I don't think there's any coming back for Luke, though, at this point. Honestly, <laughs> he's a bad guy. You don't, think, <laughs> you don't think he can come back and root for Luke? No. no? <laughs> he can't save himself? No. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's something I would like to test now. <laughs> okay. Well, the main thing that I noticed, even just with, in remembering characters that are a little bit more minor, like Luke and Paul, is that a lot of these refugees have biblical names and some of them actually tie into their biblical reference, like Rebecca wanting a child and, and raising Leah is very <laughs> similar to the Rebecca in the Bible. And, um, you know, even doubting Thomas, perhaps you could <laughs> make an argument for as well. <laughs> but is that intentional? Well, yes and no. No, because uh, until you just mentioned it, the idea of Rebecca, Rebecca wanting Thomas. wanting a child and that tying into her character name never occurred to me. Uh, so thanks. <laughs> But from now on, I'm going to go ahead and say I knew that all along. <laughs> and t- Doubting Thomas, I had thought about, even though it's not really a one-to-one kind of good description, but I, I had thought about that. But yes, the, the idea, it's just, it, there's nothing too terribly deep about it. It was just the idea that these refugees, the commons have biblical names. That ties them kind of thematically to the past in the old world, whereas the apex, like Reese, who is obviously the only apex we've met thus far, has a non-biblical name. So Old Testament versus non-biblical, and that's pretty much, that's the division there. Cool. So I'm just glad I was right on some level anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today about The Crossing. We're really enjoying it, and we can't wait to dive into the second half of the season. Awesome. Thanks, guys. It was great to talk to you. Really like your podcast. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Well, that was a very insightful conversation with the showrunners of The Crossing, and now I just can't wait to move right along to episode five and beyond. Yeah. I mean, for a show that's set up so many different mysteries and storylines, I'm certainly pleased that we got as many answers as we did. But on the one hand, I thought it was only going to be 10 episodes. So I was excited to hear we're getting 11. Right. And it's been very tight. I mean, a conspiracy show like this and drawing out mysteries. I mean, people harken back to lost and they just hope that their questions will be answered. And I think they've done a great job of pacing not only with the storytelling, but also with the doling out of answers. So I'm very happy with the direction the show has taken. Yeah, and we're really getting to bond with some of the characters. Now, granted, we may change our loyalties, but so far, I really like almost everybody in the show. That's for sure. All right, well, thanks for joining us for this bonus edition of Sci-Fi Fidelity. We'll be back at the beginning of May with our next round of show discussions discussion topics, and interviews. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.